1: wanted to play the drums, or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world, and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. You can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833 632 0585 for your free online drum lesson. All right. My guest today on the A Game Podcast is Marlon Suarez. Marlon Suarez is a Enzo Gracie jujitsu black belt and also a real estate ninja in the New York City market. So I uh, wanted to jump on. I've been talking Jiu Jitsu and real estate with him for years. And uh, you were actually one of my first mentors on the real estate side as far as being a broker and trying to introduce me into the crazy Wild West world of New York City real estate. I had a, a little bit of a bad experience with one guy. And then they were like, you need to go talk to Marlin." And you uh, you took over and you were very helpful and patient with me since then. And you were just getting into jiu-jitsu right about then too, man.
0: So it's been cool with to touching
1: base with you. It's been like, that was like, man, 2010. So yeah, it's probably like 10 years now I've known you, right?
0: Yeah, it's been 10 years. I was thinking about that too. I, I, for some reason, I thought it was 08, 09, but 2010 sounds about right. So yeah, it's, it's been a while. It was a yeah, pleasure. Man.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, we were over at our Mark David. Mark yeah. David Real Estate, dude. I remember I, I got my real estate license out there and I was like, probably like everybody thinks I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to be like one of these guys, a million dollar listing. I'm, I'll yeah. get my license. A week later, I'll just start selling these like $10 million properties and it'll be all good in three months. And you know, you don't realize like all the, the crazy stuff and the nonsense and the paying for Craigslist ads and just the, yeah. the rat race that was there. And then you get pitched by like every single company when you get out of that, that class. And I didn't know where I wanted to go. And I remember I I went on like a couple of interviews and when I went into Mark David, their office was just, had a little bit of a different vibe. It was that open feel before I think that that was like a really big thing. You were like right down there in Soho. And I remember Carla, I was like, all right, you know, good looking shit, kind of good sense of humor, a little bit of an edge to her. I was like, I like this. And then she came over (laughs) and she was like, you do jujitsu? I brought it up and she was like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, this guy trains at Henzo's and this guy trains at uh, at Mushin. And then I was like, oh, this is, this is my place. I'm in. Where do I sign? I'm sealed it from there, man. But uh, give, give a little bit of background about yourself, man. How'd you get into real estate? Talk a little bit about your journey and getting started. And then we'll, we'll branch out to all things jujitsu and real estate from there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, when I got out of college, um, when I got out of college, I tried to play professionally for a couple of years um, with mixed results, not all positive. So, you know, I figured after three, four years of trying out, Uh, I figured, you know, I'm just a dime a dozen. I think I need to go do something else. Uh, and I went into finance, I did finance for a good five years and I had success and I was enjoying it, but I don't know. It just, it just was something wasn't right. I wasn't married yet. I was getting up there in my later twenties and almost looking 30 and i was like you know what i'm just gonna i had some money put aside, and i figured let me go find what i really want to do there has to be something else out there you know at that age all your friends are getting married having kids i'm like before i'm one of those and i'm stuck (laughs) with something i don't want to do i said it's time to just let's figure this out so i'm prepared when i get to that point and at least i'm doing something i love and i can figure it out um i left finance didn't have anything lined up um, figured it'll take me a good six months, started interviewing, uh, but I had two problems, which are positive problems. I had money, so there wasn't a sense of urgency, and I just started traveling a little bit, enjoying myself. That six months turned out to be a year, year and a half, and just so be it, I was at a family function, and I t- I, it was actually a family barbecue. And Mark David was there. He was dating my sister's best friend who had interned for me when I was doing finance. And they fell in love. Her name is Claudia um, From now. They they fell in love and they were going to get married. Well, Mark had started a company, was about to start Mark David, and they wanted me to come and interview. So I went and interviewed Um. I really love Mark. He and I, he and I, just hit it off. We became really good friends. Six months later, I was at Mark David, and it just took off from there. You know, I, I, I didn't know the New York market, and you know, Mark promised me he would guide me the best way he knew how. At that point, he was twelve years into Manhattan real estate with a lot of success, so he he pretty much gave me the blueprint of what I had to do. Um, when I got it, when I got into Mark David. The standard was you had a mentor under someone, you had to do five deals in 60 days. Long story short, I totally, no exaggeration, I sucked for the first (laughs) four months. I was horrible. I was really good at being on the phone, setting up appointments, talking to people, getting them to the office, but I didn't do the second half. Which was, you had to get up and know exactly what you were talking about. Because of my finance background, getting on the phone and talking to people was never the issue. But I really didn't know the content. And then finally, just got to a point where I was just like, I told my mentor, I said, What I gotta do? I said, He was pretty much said, You need to get off your butt. You need to run around. Whatever you're gonna advertise, you need to know everything about it. So when they get here and you actually take them out, it's already a done deal. You'll know beforehand. Um, and that's the value that they want it's great that you can talk to them and bring them in but you need to really have the other half which is most important figuring out how to satisfy what their pain is what exactly what they're looking for at their budget and making it work and understanding what what the owners are also looking for so that way you can make the best match possible uh and once i did that I took off. I was their number one producer. The next twenty four months, um, I started to realize that there was only so much money I could make on my own, and with my um, athletic background, my football background, I always loved. I always loved the team element of everything, and I always saw myself as an educator a little bit. So I figured, let me start a team. Uh, Mark David allowed me to start a team, and um, and I had a knack for it. And I knew how to translate it, and I had the formula I felt I needed to really be ineffective. And I was uh, at the height; I was doing about in commission, payable commissions. I was doing about eighty thousand a month, and I did that for a good six years. And the whole point about me, the whole point of me doing a team was the other part about real estate is that I didn't have any connections in Manhattan, because I wasn't from Manhattan. I knew all the best nightclubs, I knew some great restaurants, but I just didn't know the other half. And, I, and the only way to really build a book of business was I had to do a lot of deals. And that afforded me that opportunity because when you're handing in that many productions, you get to know the owners, you get to know clientele. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I developed a solid book of business, and many of my Mark David clients are still my clients. That there's several that are, have done extremely well, and you know we're we constantly looking and buying property to invest or the second homes and so forth. So Mark David, in all all in all, was a great platform for me, and it was a great way to start my business. It introduced me to my wife introduced me to jiu-jitsu. Mark David uh, was doing jiu-jitsu at the time, and so was uh, Sasha Mubarak. Sasha, uh, yeah, yeah. That,
1: that was the guy. That was the guy that I first met that was, uh, I remember, yeah. he was on the HENZO.
0: And we still train together, and you know, I, I, it, it was a great way to start to start real estate for me. Yeah.
1: You know, it's it's so crazy. Uh, one, of, one of the books I read a while ago was The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Yeah. I think you actually might've told me to read it, to be honest, I'm thinking back now. I didn't think about that till just now. Yeah. But I remember one of the, the key like overviews of that was that people come into your life and have an effect and you don't know what they are. It's like, you, you think you're going to go to heaven and the five people you meet are going to be your mom and your dad, and like your dog. Right. And right. sometimes it's somebody that just did something and put you on a path and you never even knew. And it was like, you mentioned that guy, Sasha, he probably has no idea who I am, has never heard of me. Right. But he doesn't right. realize that because he came over for a right. half a second while I was filling yeah. out an application and was like. I'm a blue belt under Henzo Gracie. And I was like, yeah. I'm going to work here. And then I met, you know, like it's just, it's yeah, funny yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: just people yeah, say
1: yeah. things and they come together. But um, I love especially, you're you're literally my favorite type of guest because I love talking to athletes and people who excel in stuff that takes discipline and hard work and dedication. And then they parlay that same work ethic into real estate, which, you know, that's why I love talking to like Raging Al and, and uh, Aljamain and, and those types of guys. So I think that a lot of those same, same obstacles and just like you said we were talking before this about our morning routines that I want to get into they translate over to whatever you want to do and i think especially you went from trying to do high level athletics to not just getting into i'm going to go be a real estate agent which is what a lot of people do but i don't think the average person understands the difference between trying to be a real estate agent and trying to be a real estate agent in new york city and right. trying to be real in new york city when we when i was first starting there and it was it was crazy so Talk a little bit about, um, was it intimidating kind of jumping in there at that time? And have you had any experience now that you've been around a little bit more, what's your take on the way that that, that market is as opposed to uh, pretty much every other market I've seen as far as being on the agent side?
0: Yeah, you know, for the hard part, I think most people that come into real estate in Manhattan, you know, really have the same picture you mentioned earlier. They think of it as million dollar listing is gonna translate very quickly. And you're gonna make a ton of money, and and I don't want to discourage anyone to think that you can't. You absolutely can, but it's a lot of work that does, that you have to do behind the scenes. Um, and by work, meaning you really have to get out there. You have to put yourself out there, and you have to follow a certain plan. The first key component when most when most people become an agent. Um, You know, they they go to, um, there's a couple of schools, but there's one I'm thinking off the top of my head, New York Real Estate Institute. And then you have every brokerage firm trying to recruit them for the most part. You know, that initial process is huge because everyone promises they're going to show you what it takes or they're going to give you the training you need to really develop. And as you and I both know, doing jujitsu, not all instruction is equal. Not everyone is the same. Not every black belt are on the same level playing field. And you really have to be selective. The first thing you have to do is you have to take a self, an honest self-evaluation about yourself, about what are the key components that I need based on my skill set that I'm going to match with, with the companies that are presented to me. That's the first one. And you really have to be honest. Like, I, I went to two universities. I went to the University of Maryland and I went to uh, um, the College of New Jersey. College of New Jersey is what, 17,000? Maryland is like 50. They had some huge auditoriums. Some of my classes were enormous at Maryland. And that was problematic for me. I have a little bit of ADD. I get distracted. There's like a couple of hundred people in the class. You know, I, I start wandering mentally. And I just can't stay focused, and then I'm always playing catch up. College of New Jersey was perfect. Classrooms were small; it was more intimate. I had to stay focused, so even if my ADD kicked in, I kind of felt like I was being looked at. So, the big companies didn't appeal to me because I didn't want to get lost. Mark David uh, was a tr- was an obvious choice just because of my relationship, but their setup was perfect for me. I needed that individual attention. I'm not a person that's going to ask for a lot. Um, you know, I, I take it upon myself to dive in and really understand it soup to nuts from what you're telling me. But when I have questions or when I have concerns and I ask for help, I want, I want, to, I want to be given that attention. And Mark David was the perfect setup. Uh, the other part is once, once you dive in, you just can't be a robot and just take this information. You have to ask the why. Why am I advertising here? How does this work out for me in the long run? What am I trying to accomplish? And most people just take it out. Okay, if I do this, this factors into a deal. Well, if that's all you're doing, then yes, you'll probably just get a deal. What you really want to do is you want to, first and foremost, make a connection with the person you're trying to help buy a house or sell a house, make the connection with the ownership, make understandable process deeper so that way the next time you've already ha- you already at, at a different level and on top of that you understand that the most important part of that whole variable are the connections that you're making because these same people can be clients further down the line and you're collecting that kind of information those kinds of relationships to really excel and, and to really make you know the next six months next 12 months next 24 months so so in that process, really understanding and developing that, um, finding the right match that's going to give you the training you need is, is crucial. It has to, it has, it's, the, it's the most important part of this because if you're not trained properly, you're not going to give the best service. You're not going to be able to translate this into real money and make this an actual career instead of, just, instead of just a couple of deals here and there and so forth. And the beautiful part about real estate, is you know, is you can make this what you want some people want a certain amount of income, some people want a huge income, some people want a certain lifestyle. And with the proper training, you could really develop, develop your business the way you want it to, to develop. And that's what I got more than anything else. And that correlates with, with, you know, training and uh, training and, and, and being, um, being an athlete uh, earlier on in my life. And, um, you know, it's that discipline about, It's that discipline about spreading out your day and understanding how to make the most of it. We only have X amount of hours in a day. That's never going to change. It's what you do within that time. Following a schedule and understanding how to maximize each hour of the day makes all the sense in the world. Um, And it's the only way you're going to be extremely successful. You know, I I get up at 5 a.m. every day um, without exception, irregardless of what I have to do. Um, I go train in the morning for about two hours to start my day, just to clear clear out all the nonsense, so that I can start off fresh. I get on my calls sometime around nine nine thirty, depending on the day. For two hours, I make all my all my relationship calls with uh, with my owners, uh, any investors, any 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 buyers, clients, etc. I make sure that they're up to speed regularly um after that then i look at my new projects things that i have to that i have to hammer out and then after that it's really just troubleshooting so i break up my day and i break up my day in those quadrants and then i finish the day if i'm able to depending on is training again and that's when i get to do my jiu-jitsu and that just clears my mind for the rest of the day and takes it from there
1: you touched on so many great things there that I definitely want to jump into. Um, one of them being, you said asking, asking why, like, why am I doing this? Why does this work? Why does that not work? And I think, again, being somebody that comes from an athletic background, you have to have, I think, anything that you're going to do. You know, you didn't just say, hey, I want to get into football. I want to play professionally. You didn't get into real estate and say, hey, I want to do a couple of deals. You're running an $80,000 a month team. You didn't just get into jujitsu to say, hey, you know, eventually I, I wanna do a couple of tournaments or be able to, you know, defend myself on the street, you became part of the dad and Her death squad. Like that mentality, I feel like takes you, whatever you do, you're always looking to be at that elite level. So you have to have that drive, a little bit of that, that ego, definitely a lot of alpha, but you also have to be teachable. And I think that that's part of what I, I, I don't wanna say I didn't have that because I do, but what you were saying about being able to teach the right way, was something that I don't even know if you realize you had, but that was a big reason of why I resonated with you. And I've always said that there's guys that can kick my ass on the mat every single day, guys that do real estate better than me all the time that I talk to, but they don't know how to explain to me what I'm doing wrong or what they're doing right, right. Or how to adjust it. It really is a gift and a skill of learning not only how to teach what what you're doing, but how to change the way you're saying stuff to adapt to us so somebody else can learn it. And you had that skill. And, the other guy that I was with prior, I, I like him, n- nice guy, but I wasn't mature enough to understand where I was being stubborn and I don't think he knew how to adapt. So it just became, I said, don't do this. So don't do this. And I was like, well, I need to make some money. So unless you can give me a better answer, then like, don't fuck. Right. Him, you know what I mean, I'm right, going to go. Right, right. And so it, it came down to like, Hey dude, if you do that again, you're off my team. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not learning anything. I'm just wasting my time. Like you're not yeah. helping me. You're just yelling at me. And so I did it again, and he was like, All right, you're out. And I was like, Can I be on Marlins team? And they were like, Yeah, if he'll take you. And then you you sat down with me like the first day, and you were like, What's going on, man? Like, because I know you're friends with the guy. And I was like, Again, it's just, there's just something. I'm not learning anything. I'm not, I'm getting frustrated. And you were like, Well, what do you want to know? And I was like, Well, how do I even talk to people? And you were like, Sit down. And you picked up the phone, and you started making phone calls, and then hung up and were like, I said this, I did this. Do you see why this was a waste of time? This wasn't. And I was like, Man, that's what I needed. Like, now I understand. But I know that the original guy looking back, he was trying to help me. And, you know, right. I right now I look back and I go, he knew I was wasting my time. Right. He was trying to stop it. But he didn't explain it to me in a way that made me want to do that. So, you know, obviously there's days that you get your ass kicked on the mat training with the guys you're at and you have to be able to be, uh, you know, get out there and just take action as a black belt, but also step back and learn. And one yeah. of the things I always watch you do, you know, I'm always looking at stuff, but I thought what was cool that I don't know what every, if every um real estate company does this, but I know once or twice a week, they would have those early morning meetings at Mark David. When I was sitting there for an hour, just trying to get keys and figure out what places I was going to go preview that day, there was like a sales meeting or they would bring in like Tim Ferry to teach or they would talk right. different things. And you were at every meeting every day, always learning, 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 learning. And I remember thinking like, that dude's going to be successful one day if he just keeps learning and taking action and learning and taking action. And you were, I think just starting jujitsu around that time too. Yeah. And I remember Scott was like, Hey man, he's like, I know you've been doing jiu-jitsu. I think it was a blue belt. Maybe, maybe just a blue yeah. belt. He's like, Marlon just started. He's like, but I'm telling you, man, it's like that guy would give you a lot of trouble on the Mac. Cause he's really freaking strong. He's <laughs> really, he's really fast. And he's just a grinder. And I was like, man, like it's the same way he's handling this. He's handling that. So did you learn to be teachable like that. Did that come from different mentors you had? So it, it's a bit of a two-sided question. Like yeah. how did you become teachable? Like that was it a struggle where you were a bad student at first. And did you have to learn how to be a good mentor and teach people the way that you handled me? And I'm sure you're doing with people on the mat and in real estate now too.
0: Now uh, you know what? It's, I'd be lying to you if I said, it, I, it, I didn't have my own growing pains with that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 50, so all, and I played sports as, as far as I could remember. Growing up, most of my coaches were, and back then, a good amount of coaches were one dimensional. They were hard and stern. There was no answering back, and, you know, this is, how it, this is how it happened, nothing else, and I was fine with that, and to be honest, it's still, for me, it's the best way for me to learn. Honestly, because I'm not one that really questions a lot. Um, You tell me, I execute, Uh, and then I I make analysis off of that on my own, and then I come back to you, and we we could go back and forth. Where it became problematic for me is probably when I hit my when I hit about late teens, early twenties. You know, and I was at that point, I was usually the star or one of the top guys, and you know, I started thinking I knew everything, and I just started. Uh, you know, my ego was getting the best of me a little bit. Um, and I just remember I, I had a couple of issues at college with, with the defensive coordinator and so forth, you know. Um, what what triggered me was we would have these great conversations, but kind of the same way your relationship with, with the first mentor, Mark David, it was my relationship with him. He just I, I didn't feel like I was understanding the why to the defense, and it was frustrating me. And I think because it didn't suit my skill set, I was doing extremely well, but I felt I could do better. So I felt like I was being left behind or not utilized the way I need to, which is a very selfish mindset. Because again, it's not just me, it's me and the hundred other guys that are there. But at that age, when you're just coming into your own, it's not, it's not a concept, um, but there was an office lineman who was an All-American, and we, we, he was from Hudson County, where I was from, in New Jersey, and we drove up one time, and we became good friends, and we still are, uh, but he told me something that kind of just, just uh, we, we were just chit-chatting on the ride, and we were going back and forth about the year, and about the offense and the defense. And then I was complaining and he just stayed quiet. Let me vent for like 45 minutes. And then, and then he stopped me and said, look, I think you're taking this the wrong way. It says, you know, for the simple fact is if, if you and four other people question, where are we going to be at? If you're not going to execute, where are we going to be at for good or for bad? The coaches put the game plan for good or for bad. The 11 guys in defense must execute that defense to the best of their ability with a single-minded purpose. Anyone who's not in line with that diminishes the overall scheme of that 11 and then the 22 and then the 100 other guys were there with you busting their butt to make you better. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I think my selfishness actually, it was the first time I opened my eyes and I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. This is not about me. This is about everyone else. And I have an option. My option is I could leave that university and go to another one that I feel it fits, but that doesn't happen now. That happens at the end of the season. And that's how I have to, that's how I have to conduct myself more forward in that process. After that, I was a model student on the, on the football field, everywhere else. I was like, you know what? It was part of that maturing pain that I had to go through. Um, and that was part, I never, I never forgot that as I started teaching. I started realizing, I said, you know what? Anyone who comes under me, it's not what I want. I need to find out what they want. And I need to understand what moves them. I know what I want about this. That 80000 a month production was always my goal. And that was always, that was always like, from the minute I walked in the door, I wanted to make a ton of money. I had a lifestyle planned in my head. And I didn't care what I had to do to get it. And I knew what I wanted to be in terms of Manhattan real estate. Um, but when I started teaching, that's the first thing that came back to me, that conversation with my buddy in college. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to find out what they want. And if I could understand that, then I could help motivate them. And when they asked me why, the same way I want, I just did, you know, I, I never wanted to be a hippie. I can't be the person that if you're teaching me and I'm only asking you, I and I tell everyone, everyone who everyone who deals with me who's in a position where they're teaching me or they're, or they're my mentors in some capacity, I let them know, hey, look, you probably never hear a word from me except a couple of times. But when I do, if you just answer my question and you get me there, it's great. So I, anytime anyone had questions, anyone, something that they didn't understand, I made it my point to make sure that I came across and, and answered their questions the best way I could and really get it so they could take action upon what they wanted. Uh, because at the end of the day, real estate is, no one's giving you a salary. No one's guaranteeing you nothing. And you have to, you have to really take the time to say, okay, you know what? We're going to make some. Tell me exactly what you want out of it. And we're going to plan this out together and I'm going to show you what you need to do to make it happen. And then after, once that process is done, then you can evaluate if real estate is truly for you and what you want to make of it. Um, And I mean, even to this day, John Denner is is my mentor and I love his training style. It is hard and brutal. Uh, It is, you know, he's, it's the way I kind of grew up and, and, and I love the way he teaches. But what he does extremely effectively is that he always gives you the why. You know, like some days it's just direct, do it, execute it. And then other days, and he puts it together in such a way where you understand the why. You understand how it correlates the next. Uh, And and it's a beautiful thing. And I love love teaching. I still see myself teaching again at one point, uh, maybe mentoring in some capacity. Um, right now, I'm, I'm not doing any mentoring. I have some agents that work under me, but they've been with me for some time. So we collaborate. Um, but yeah, I, I see myself teaching again. Hopefully, I, I get a lot out of it. I, I truly enjoy it. But right now, I'm just having an amazing time training under John, uh, doing real estate on my terms, the way I've set it up, uh, and just getting my bucket by, by the desk <laughs> one every day. I mean, it is amazing. It is amazing how humbling uh you know, it's gotten to the point where I don't go in there thinking, uh, oh my God, I'm gonna I'm gonna crush it. I go in there saying, Okay, here's my plan. This is how I'm gonna get better, this is how I'm gonna help them get better. And you know what? The sky's the limit. And it's it's a beautiful thing.
1: Dude, I, I love all that. I think you're a hundred percent correct. And I think uh, you know, you you definitely do those being somebody who was underneath you and sat there and listened. you generally came from, I could tell even if I wasn't, I was getting the answer, but I would have been satisfied with whatever answer you gave me because I could tell that you truly were trying to give me the information that I needed. You know, And, and I, I try and be self-reflective too and look at it as, you know what, if I wasn't so young and just testy and stubborn at that age too and with everything that was going on financially with me, and you know, I, I should have voiced my concerns better to the first guy, and been a better student. And that's something that I'm learning later in life too, is, you know, I was a mentor for a long time, but now I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to be a student and there could be bad students. You know what I mean? And I feel like yeah. I was a bad student too. So I'm trying to put it on both sides, you know, cause I know that there's times that people are like, Oh man, real estate doesn't work. And I'm like, I called you 50 times. You never called me back one time. You didn't do anything. So you don't have the right to go out and tell people that it doesn't work because you didn't do your part. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm always trying to hold that accountability, but, you know, it is that burnout because the same way I think I, I, I don't I don't see it as much, but there was a long time there that people were walking into Ray Longo's or Matt Serra's gym almost once or twice a day, just you know, juiced out, looking like the typical like Long Island club guy, like, I wanna be a UFC champion, I got four hundred street fights, like ah, and they'd be yeah. like, Well, how about we do like the wipeout class today? And how about you roll with the smallest guy? And their ego just they would get beat and they would never come back. But they came in there with this big I see it on TV. It's so easy, and it's like what you said before about people watch million dollar listing, but they don't understand that the people that are at that level work their asses off to get there and did a lot behind the scenes. They didn't just post something on Craigslist and some millionaire called them and said, "I want to buy this mansion." It took exactly the things you were saying: calls every day, grooming, getting your name out there, doing the right things. You know, networking, planting those seeds. And I feel like that's the same thing with real estate, real estate agents, real estate investors. Jitsu guys, I want to yeah. be a black belt. Great. You start out being a white belt and you take your ass whoopings and you learn how to yeah. be a student, but most people never get there. And I think that first six months that they gave us at Mark David to, to get a certain amount of deals done. And then you don't have to split as much as the commission. The fallout rate that I would see every week was yeah. like 90% of people would be like, forget yeah. this, not for me. Same thing I see with jujitsu. How many guys come in? Oh, I join Henzo's, they buy every t-shirt, they're wearing all the Madsera gear. Yeah. Rage and shirts and then two weeks later they're a CrossFit guy. And they're all yeah. over Instagram through CrossFit. So yeah. most people don't want to stick it out. But I feel like that's why I love athletes because they know how to take beatings, put in the hard work, hate it all day long, but still go back the next day yeah. and not let that make them quit. So being that you went through that same process, what were some of the things that you did starting out in a market like New York when you were saying you, you sucked? How did you keep yourself positive and motivated to keep going? Because it's like you said, I always tell people More people quit between white belt to blue belt, than blue belt to purple belt, and then blue belt to purple belt. Way less people quit than purple to brown, and the amount of people quit from brown to black. I mean, it it gets smaller. The attrition.
0: Absolutely. How to
1: get through that first, you know, that first year, that first year and a half. So,
0: how did you do that? So, when my first six months, when I told you out of the when I started those first four months, I I really sucked, and I really sucked because um, I had a certain skill set that allowed me to have success in terms of, for most people, it's hard talking on the phone, getting people into an office, really working through the process. I learned that fairly quickly and that's just because I've done it before. So I already had a platform that kind of showed me how to customize it. So I was really confident in that side and it gave me a false sense of security that, oh wow. I mean, people were amazed. I was just, having, I was double, tripling appointments uh, like an idiot, because, you know, <laughs> I could only take one at a time, but I just thought it was cool. And it looked great. So, and it, the funny part is, you know, because there were three or four people coming to see me, I had to give them away. And these people would go out, I'd go out, they'd come back with deals and I wouldn't. So out of the five other people who were in training with me, they all got out before me and half of them got deals all that I gave them for people that, that came in. But, you know, that was the first thing. The second thing is, I, I I never got up to actually see the product, so I didn't know what was going on. And the reason why is the, the other reason why that was kind of my hindrance is that you know I had I had a good sum of cash still put away, and I wasn't hungry. Like I wasn't uncomfortable. A lot of these, a lot of the people training with me didn't have that. Op- weren't in that situation, and they needed to get this done now. Sense of urgency and a need is a crucial component for success. You know if. You don't get to be, you don't get to be a Gordon Ryan or a Chris Weidman or just, you know, any any of the top guys that we know that we have the fortunate, the, the fortunate opportunity to see every day. They get to know personally. I mean, these guys have a burning desire. I mean, it, it is above and beyond. And I mean, they're that 1%. And the fact that they got to so high is because they were even, even among the 1%. They had a clear picture and there was nothing that was going to stop them. So and That's even with having that, then you have to take that to the next level. You have to not just go to training three times a day. You gotta watch film. You gotta you gotta do your conditioning. You gotta work on your mechanics. You gotta see, you gotta put yourself in situations, compete as often as you want. Real estate's the same way. What when I turned that corner, I literally froze the money I had and gave myself gave myself an allowance. It was a minimal allowance of what I needed to get in and out of work, pay my bills, advertising, and food. And I had to stick to it. So now I put myself in an uncomfortable situation. Second thing was, I started, I, I wasn't a good marketer. Um, you know, I wasn't really good with HTML. I wasn't good with a lot of stuff. So I said, you know what? Everything I'm not good at, I got to get into it. So I would stay up to two, three in the morning, just trying to practice, just get, trying to get caught up. On, on that side of the business, real estate, because I need that for my advertising so I can be truly effective. So it's not just me and the phone. I got to cover the whole blank. Then when I got into the office, I made sure I was the first one in, last one out. Um, and I, I, I got on the schedule. I said, I'm going to go see this landlord, this landlord, this management company. I want to target townhouses and lofts. And there's only so many. So I'm going to see them all. Whenever they come up for sale, for rents, commercial places, I'm gonna go see them. Because I really, I didn't, at that point, I didn't just want to be everybody else. I wanted to find a certain marketplace that I could excel from that will help me, help propel myself. Um, and the only ones I could think of that I thought, aesthetically, I thought were wonderful, were and uh, Townhouses. So I got to know everyone in Soho, Noho, Tribeca. Uh, I looked at townhouses in the villages. You know, I, I would find it and I just got to know them. like it just became it became a Rolodex in my brain of what property. So when they came up, I knew how to jump all over it. Someone walked in and said they wanted a loft. I knew exactly where to take them and I knew exactly what was available and what was required. And that was all the little stuff I did on the side while I was at work, when I got home and I just made it, you know, after the first four months, those next six months, I just dove in nonstop. I don't think I took, I averaged seven days a week of work, sometimes seven. And I think for a good three, four years, I don't think I took a vacation when I first started real estate because I was behind the eight ball. I didn't have any relationships. I didn't know any buyers. You know, most of my friends, you know, lived on the peripheries, which was outside of Manhattan. And I needed to make connections. I needed to really, and at that point, I also needed to make money now because I had froze my money and I just, there was no, I couldn't tap into it. I'd locked it up and I just had to bring it in to make it work. And when I started doing that is when I finally started seeing success. Then I was just on fire from there and it kept on. Um, I I got better, you know, at at the first year for all my success, uh, one of my pitfalls was I wasn't tracking my business. I was making a lot of money. And my team was was known for making money and I could get people in and out of training very quickly for the most part. And they were skilled to, to, to have success afterwards. But one of my downfalls is was I wasn't tracking anything. Um, and I remember Claudia sat with me and says, if you really want to do real estate, and it seems like you do like long-term, like if you, this is something you want to do, then how do you have a business where you don't know how many ads it takes? What's your ad cost? You know, how many ads if you go out, do you actually get a phone call? How many of those phone calls become appointments? How do the appointments become deals? What deals do they come from? Where is your margin at? Where is, you know, are the studios that you rent? it two bedrooms. What location? Where, you know, you're never going to see the whole playing field without it. And when she said playing field, it made sense to me. Because now the athlete in me was like, you're absolutely right. I'm running an offense. I'm running an offense without really knowing all the stats. I can't run a defense. And when things go wrong, I won't know where and things always go wrong. Markets go up and down. Uh, and as we know, the market is never totally down. There's always just parts of the market. This is up. This is down in this area in that area. But how am I ever going to know that if I'm not tracking anything that I do? How am I going to make the adjustments in real time? or anticipate things to come, unless I really make this into a business. And then I spent the other six months really just dissecting my business, which I still do to this day. I know exactly what comes in, what comes out. And it's, it's that growth, that, those little things that you have to initiate. No one can bring it to you. No one has to call you to get up and do it. No one can like, come on, let's go train. Come on, let's go, let's go study our business. No, this is something you have to initiate. You have to go out there and be like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get all the variables and I'm going to attack it, which is the other part. A lot of people get caught up on the management side of the business. You got to attack the business. You got to go after the money. No one's going to bring it to you. Um, and I, I do that. I I, still do. I I still do that to this day. Um, I love where I am. I finally have a solid book of business. I'm not locked into having to go to the office every day. I can do everything off my pad and my phone and I'm on the phone all the time, but I'm living it the way I want, Uh, what I want. We spoke over the last couple of years about taking my business in a different direction, which I've started. Um, And and I love it. And I I follow the same thing with jujitsu. I, I I fell in love with jujitsu the minute I walked in the first time I got on the mat because it was so damn hard. And I was at that point, I was a little out of shape, uh, but I was still training somewhat. Um, and when I walked on the mat, I had guys who were 150 pounds just giving me hell, and I couldn't figure for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. And I, you know, I was going twice a week. Twice a week became three times a week. Three times became four twice four times a week. Then I was going six days a week, and then I just started going, you know, twice a day when I could, uh, and it was all stuff that I had to initiate, Um, you know, I I wanted to be a Black belt. I wanted to figure this out. I wanted to really like, it wasn't enough for me. I always feel opportunities present themselves to everyone. It just depends what you do with it. Um, And you know, I'm I'm happily married, but I, I don't have any kids and I have a certain amount of time and I, I really wanted, I really still had a burning desire to compete. And the trigger for me that brought me over was a training partner of mine had qualified. This is 2014. He won the East Coast trials and qualified for ADCC. And he was one of the uh, Hensel Braces as a group uh, at that time, still to that, called the Dancing Bears. And it's all guys is a certain size. Bigger and so forth because you know there's there's not that many of us all the time so uh we always train together so uh my good friend sent out a group text saying, say hey look i qualified for 80 CCs, and um if you guys could help me uh get ready i'd really appreciate it when he sent out that tax that was my call to arms i was like you know what i'm gonna make this the platform i need i'm gonna help my buddy get ready as best i can't i was still a blue belt at the time um, and, and, you know, and he was high, he was a high level black belt. And, but I said, you know what, I'm gonna, anytime he needs me, I'm going to make myself available. And so I started training with him. Uh, I started training twice a day. Then we used to train late, um, late, which I, I usually never do. I started training late at evening, drilling with him on Saturdays. Uh, and that was kind of the catalyst that helped me elevate my game. Cause now I got, that's how I got to start training with the squad. The squad was just coming up. They really weren't the squad yet. And he was going to ADCC. So with several other guys, I think 2015, we had, I think we had one in every division. It was the first time in a long time that that had happened. And I got to train with them every day. I was getting, I was getting my ass handed to me, every day. but I was loving it. But my, my understanding of the game really started coming. I started seeing the field in different ways, and then I just started loving it. I just I couldn't let it go, and it's still to this day, um, it's still my obsession. I, I just I, I love training. I love the fact that it's hard. I love the fact that it's you don't. There's nothing in jujitsu that you could do that condenses time frames except training a lot. And often, because it is complicated. It, it is chain movements of precision over and over and over and conditioning your body and your mind to, to work at that level. And then as you get farther up the food chain at a faster level, at a more precise level with, with, you know, and putting everything together. I mean, I... I treat my body like I'm, a, like I'm a world-class athlete. I have to because to train with these guys who are the best in the world, I have to be in shape. I can't have a bad night and think I'm going to have a good day on the mat with them. It just, just doesn't work out that way anymore. So,
1: I think that goes back to what you were saying about when you flipped the switch and realized that you had to be a team player. It was about the whole – I feel the same way, you know, even though I know I'm not going to be – the killer on the mat. I know if I'm going to pop in and get on a group text to like, Hey guys, 9am tomorrow, right. you know, Iaquinta and Matt Sarah and Jason Rao. And, you know, we're all going to be down there. I'm like, the least I can do is go run 10 miles a day for the next five days and at least be as yeah. least yeah. shitty as I can possibly be. So I have something to offer, you know? So, you know, cause it is true, you know, you want to be an asset to these guys and there's different yeah. types of trainings partners. is another thing I've learned is, you know, there's the guy that You can try stuff on, and then there's the guy that's a little bit closer that you can go at the same level as, and then there's just the person that's going to beat you and that you get to go, okay, one day I want to be that good or or learn what you're doing. And just being around those types of guys, I think is inspiring. I I love talking to guys like you and, you know, watching Jason Rao. I was training for maybe two years before Jason Rao came in, and I remember when he started and he was a white belt and he was okay. And then he would be there every day, just, you know, on the medicine ball and, and doing hip escapes and just drilling, 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 drilling. And now he's a world-class jujitsu yep. guy, you know, like yep. Nick Ronan, same thing came in, I'm rolling with him one day. And Jason Rao's like, Hey man, careful. And I was like, Oh, he's like, no, no, no. I know his belt's white, but I'm not kidding. Be careful. And I was like, yeah. what the hell? like, who is this kid? And now, you know, again, now he's yeah. a world-class black belt. So you being somebody who, who shares the mats with people like that, I know you, uh, you know, you're on there every single day with Gary Tonin and Enzo Gracie and John Danaher and Gordon Ryan. And I would like to hear a, a little bit about the story of you actually just got the uh, world champion jiu-jitsu uh, Gordon Ryan, his first uh, first house, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gordon, uh, Gordon and I have been um, Gordon's a good friend. Uh He came. Um, he came by um henzo gracie i think he was 16 years old uh tall lanky kid gary had brought him in uh and you know it's it's been a pleasure watching his development i mean when when i met gary gary i think was already a a world champion brown belt and was already pretty high level and making a solid name for himself so everyone knew and plus you know he, he's from he's from ocean county bj which is one of our affiliates so you always have a sense of pride whenever you hear you know a matt sarah guy did this or or this you know because we're all we're all in the same lineage and you know you just you just you're very prideful so you know when gary uh everyone was like oh that's gary tonin and you know he had done some high level events and it, you know gary's an exciting grappler just always had been an exciting grappler it's one of the most favorite guys I'd I love to watch when he competes at like anything. I mean, he's amazing. And he brought, he brought Gordon in, and um, Gordon was a tall, lanky kid, and he had some skill, and he, he learned quickly. But, I mean, it went from – and I'll give it to these guys. I mean, they were living in New Jersey, and they were living, like, in South Jersey. They were driving for several hours a day back and forth. And it went from them being there a couple of days a week to being there all day, every day. <laughs> And then, and then you know, as they develop, you know, you have to make money, and you have to do things, and they they'd be there from morning, afternoon, have multiple trainings, then go actually go teach somewhere, or you know, and then they were traveling to compete, and they were doing every tournament they could, and you know, you can't help but to admire that kind of dedication. There's a certain level of just like you know what, um, this is pretty. Damn amazing. And they were young guys. When when um when you see, when you hear a lot about oh, the youth of this or lazy that, I said, you know, maybe there is, maybe there's a fraction, but to 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 cover that with a wide broad right brush is just wrong because I'm watching these kids just just come in and just dedicate themselves, you know, with just the belief. And and at that time, even 2015, there wasn't a lot of money in grappling uh and now there's more and more but uh, you're not gonna it, it wasn't anything where it was like wow they're making a killing so you know that that belief that you know what we're gonna take this to another level we're gonna be the best in the world and they're going up against people who've been training since they were kids i mean most of the world champions at the time they come from long lineages where you know they started at five you know so the fact that they started at 16 and started in, and went from there to where they are now it is it is amazing what what they did in that room and what you know i mean i, I jason rouse an absolute beast i remember when he came in and you know by the time but by the, by the last time the, the what i tell my friends now every time i go with jason the last one, last friend of mine said wow you did well i said no i was just surviving i was happy i, I was happy i didn't get caught until the end and then you know, and that's the most you can hope for <laughs> if, yeah. you're lucky, if you're even lucky. You know, they're monsters. Nick Ronan, another one, just just amazing. Just come in and 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 you know, when you do jujitsu or you do any kind of athletics, I mean, they're always hurt. There, there's always something not right with them. It, it really just depends if it's manageable or not manageable. If it's not manageable, obviously they can't train, but they're still there watching, taking notes, refining tinkering with, with different techniques seeing how this position goes so yeah it, it is just absolutely amazing and you know over time just got to train with, with with uh with gordon uh year in year out on and off obviously you know he was there every day and but uh, for me different things would pop up so i would be training all the time then i then a little bit then a lot and but regardless, we just became friends and um i helped him he finally um wanted to live in manhattan Um, so I helped him get an apartment, uh, just to shorten the commute. He really started separating himself. So he said, you know, this, this, you know, driving five hours a day and then doing everything I have to do is just killing me. So helped him get an apartment. Um, and, uh, we found a great spot that worked for him. And then two years later, you know, he's now an ADCC champion. His videos are doing really well. And, you know, he, now he just wanted uh, to buy a house and, i tell you one thing about, about Gordon and most of the squads. They're extremely loyal. Um, when you're their friend, you're their friend. And, you know, he called me without hesitation and says, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. Can you help me? I said, look, I'm not licensed in New Jersey, but I have a good friend and I'll help you all the way through and And we did, and you know we, we found a great place for him, and you know he's extremely happy and you know that's really what you want out of it I mean the fact that i wasn't going to make a ton of money off of it, but that wasn't the issue. The most important part was, you know what? this is my buddy, I want to help him find a house, and i want to you know I want to make sure he gets a lay of, lay of the land so he knows exactly what he 's getting into, and you look at all the variables i mean you know he's a world champion, and you want you want to you wanna give him he's I think he's he was twenty-four, he bought it a year ago, a year and a half ago. So he's like twenty-four years old. And you know, you wanna run the whole game and say, Okay, look, what are you seeing for this house? Is this, you know, something you're gonna be here for five years or ten years? Because if it is, then yeah, I'd say let's do this. If you're thinking that, you know what, um that maybe not as the short of time that I said, maybe you shouldn't be buying a house. Maybe there's other options because as you know and we know, that's not a long time. And, you know, once he's locked in, he's locked into this mortgage for a amount of time. It just doesn't work uh, sometimes. So, you know, the fact that I was able to assist him uh, and, and help him find something that he loves, uh, that's all that really mattered to me. And yeah, pretty good deal.
1: No, I love it, man. I, I know I've heard Enzo say variations of, there's more education and connections on the average Matt into like a, a really good jujitsu gym than any Ivy league school in America. And I believe that, you know, the same way that that came together, you know, I got uh, the connections of just good people professionally and personally that I've gotten from the years from Ray Longo and Matt Serra's gyms are just, you know, amazing. Matt's one of the best guys I've ever met. Meeting Uh guys like Jason Rao and seeing all these guys come through and then even going around the country in Chicago. Now I train Mark Turner's always been so good to me. And then, yeah, one of his instructors, Brad Johns, who is now helping me with the editing here. Guy's yeah. a purple belt, but he teaches like a black belt. He rolls like a black belt. He's yes. built like he a freaking powerhouse. I should link you yeah. guys up if you're over in that area. But you know, he's helping me out now. He's gonna help me grow the podcast and he's doing stuff. And it's just like, I'm, I'm always looking for, and I was talking to my partner Nicole about it. And I was like, man, I, I need some other people. And she's like, well, every time you work with Brad, he's the only one I hear you're not like bitching about. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Jiu Jitsu guy. That's how it always is. You get somebody from yeah. Jiu Jitsu there, they always just come through, they're reliable people, and she's uh, just sure. I was like, You're right, you know, a, it's almost always my first pool to fish in. Like, if I can get somebody and somebody I can get through jujitsu, it there, I just have a much better success rate with them just being reliable because they come through their reliability in that. And that's what I think transfers over to you in real estate. So, um, you know, par- parlay into it. I know you've probably got a bunch of stuff you got to do today, but I really wanted to get your take and your feel on the New York City real estate market because. You know, I I got into investing in like two thousand five, two thousand six. Things right. started to change, and then I started to learn the real estate uh, agent side, and it was such a you know the market was so hot and so crazy. With you know, you had to if you were going to move. You had to make that decision within that 30 days. And the second you didn't renew your lease, somebody was moving in. So now you had to get out and right. you know, things were just going up, up, up. And then, you know, you're, you're priced out of your one unit. Then you have to go to the other unit. Yeah. Now you can't afford the Upper East Side. Now you have to go down. It was, just, it was the craziest, most just yeah. nutty, hot thing I've ever seen. But now with COVID, it's the first time I have ever heard of there being high vacancies, people mm-hmm. are raising rents, they're lowering their criteria for what you yeah. need. The guarantors and you know I, part of me is like, man, it's a great time to go buy in New York City. Yeah. somebody's going to bounce back. you know th- that energy is irreplaceable, even when I was making no money and grunting myself all over Soho <laughs> in the city, I yeah. was happy to be there because I was like, this is freaking awesome. you know I'm like I'm in Soho, I'm taking the subway every day, so I'm sure New York City is going to come back strong, but in your yeah. take, being there every day, what are you seeing right now in the real estate market, and is it something very unique that you haven't seen? in your career there.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it is a real, it, you're absolutely right. It's a unique time. Um, and, and because, you know, COVID, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things when COVID hit, uh, there was so much unknown. And, you know, it becomes terrifying in a sense for a lot of people because, you know, you just don't know. And being in such close quarters together You know, your neighbors are always right there, and the way we, the way um, transportation and everything. So, yeah, a a lot of people ended up leaving. Um, I think what happened straight across the board was anyone who had a. New York has always been a a, a transient type of town. Most people don't come to New York and say, I'm going to spend the next 30 years of my life in New York. (laughs) Most most people come to New York and say, you know what, I'm going to make my mark here might be five years, might be 10 years, but I'm going to be here and I, I, I'm going I'm to stake my claim and I'm going to make it here and I'm going to be the best at whatever field they chose to be. Um, that being said, you know, as life goes on, you know, they have kids, they get married or, you know, they get married, they have kids and uh, there's a plan to move out or, get, a, or you know, have a, a residence in New York and then arrested somewhere else. Um, when COVID hit, a lot of... The owners or a lot of the renters that were like, they were like, you know what, we were going to move out in five years when the kids got this age or when this was there. That plan changed. You saw that exit right away. They were like, okay. They went out to wherever they had to go, the Berkshires, upstate New York, Hamptons, whatever it was. I mean, it cleared out. When I I, I drove a friend who live in Manhattan. Um, we had... Um, He lived in Midtown. I picked him up in Midtown, drove out to Long Island. We drove out to Stony Brook and then drove back. That drive took an hour, which normally takes almost two hours. It was like no one anywhere. And Manhattan truly looked like, I don't know if you remember the movie, Will Smith, I Am Legend. Yeah. It exactly looked like that. And it was like this rainy day. And I'm like, all we need is just the zombies that come out and attack us. <laughs> it's like no one out. Everything was boarded up and it was really eerie. It was, it was the only time I could ever remember. And even after 9-11, um, I, I don't even remember ever feeling that way where it was just seemed like it was zapped. Um, fast forward to where we are now. That's not the case. It started ticking up. So I'll give you an example for me. Real estate went totally quiet. Commercial, uh, purchasing, selling, rentals, rental leasing just went totally quiet. I mean, just went not a peep right at the shutdown. And even leading up to it, you started seeing the the upturn. But when it shut down, there was nothing. Right around June, I don't know what happened, but by June 15th, it felt like the floodgates just opened. Like, okay. I think people started feeling settled in, they're making plans. And a lot of a lot of my buyers, and a lot of my owners were like, I'm getting out. Can you help me go here, here, and here? I said, okay. Uh same thing with uh, a lot of the commercial leasing I had set up. That changed. Um and it was frustrated across the board for investment firms. I had an investment firm that had a whole floor They're like we want two, three offices. uh, Make sure there's a doorman. We don't need a. We don't need a conference room. um, Fifteen hundred square feet. We just want to run a a small amount of business. So the whole, the way they, the, the way companies are doing business, the way people are imagining New York is starting to change. What unfolds? I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know, but it's coming back, and it's coming back slowly. Um. Right from June, it picked up, then leading up to Labor Day. After Labor Day, there's been a straight uptick. I mean, traffic is the same. New York still has an eerie feeling because the retail space are are, are really taking the biggest hit. Uh, And until there's more more of a vibrant feel, it just won't, won't feel normal. How long that takes, I don't know. But I will tell you, leasing is up um leasing is up for which is strange two bedrooms and three bedrooms studios and one bedrooms which traditionally always move always did not matter is not is really stale um they're really not a lot of traction right now uh, in manhattan at least uh and the reason why is is yes owners have had to adapt on on, on the rental side and they're like okay i'm gonna have to give incentives I'll pay the broker fee, I'll give you months free, I'll give you this, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, And people who are sitting who are in a one bedroom or a studio now realize they can get a two bedroom or a three bedroom for the same price. So that part of the market is moving. What you're finding is in commercial leasing, uh, not on the retail side, but really on uh, commercial offices. Now you're seeing an uptick uh, on actually large, large Fortune 500 companies coming in and buying whole swaths. Uh, because, you know, for the next 24 months, and you have to think of this in a 24-month ratio, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but the prices are low there's a lot of vacancy. So they're coming in and like, you know what? We'll take four floors. We'll take 80,000 square feet. And that's what you're seeing trader call. You're seeing big deals on that because they're getting, they're getting the price they want. And they're thinking of not now, but they're thinking of 24 months from now, 26 months from now, when it comes back when they're 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 assuming that it'll come back to some kind of normality. Um on the sales side, um it's definitely a buyer's market um for obvious reasons, but there was speculation that it would be a 10%, 20%, 30% adjustments on price. We haven't seen that as of yet. It's really 10%, 15 is your lucky but to be totally honest and to be completely transparent, that was already happening before the pandemic. You know, prices were really skewed because there was such a boom in Manhattan, uh, and there was such a, a a building boom straight across the board in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in Queens. I mean, Queens were getting some rates that you just couldn't imagine for for Queens, uh, and you know, prices were really were really going above and beyond and an adjustment was coming and it was already starting to happen because like any boom, you start having too many properties. And when you have too many properties, it's just not going to work. And people were making a, you know, people are evaluating proper uh, properties incorrectly. As you know, things have to be apples to apples. You can't, you can't compare a condo from 15 years ago to a new development from today and expect to price it the same, Mm -hmm. but that was happening. All those adjustments have been made. So um, you're seeing, a, um, you haven't seen a lot of transactions. Uh, I, there was at one point a 30%, uh, a 70% drop. Now it's going up where you started to really see the movement. You started really see what's coming up. It's still only at 10%. If you're buying in new development condominiums, that's where you'll get the best deals. If you're purchasing, you're not going to get it from great price drops but all the other things are on the table to be negotiated on and that's where you'll make the money um so yeah it's a mixed bag um in, in brooklyn there's a lot of movement in queens there's a lot of movement Upstate new york i mean it is just it is right i mean I, i'm seeing i helped a few buyers i felt i helped to sell a few houses uh as of late and everything is selling we're having multiple offers uh right now um so we're having best and final within 24 hours and i mean the, the numbers are coming just through the roof i just recently got licensed in new jersey same thing it's same thing is happening there uh i mean everything uh, everything for a buyer you're you're getting into bidding wars um which is great for the owners um you know you just, but you just have to be careful you still have to really real estate is one of those one of those things that is so highly emotional for everyone, but you can't you can't maneuver based on emotion you have to follow certain principles you have to go by certain. Things that you know what, you're just better off losing this house and go to the next because you have to keep it within a certain budget. You have you, you know, you really have to be disciplined in order to have long-term success. So so yeah, um I, I think you're right. I, I think the city will come back, it'll come back strong. It might be reimagined in a different way in certain sectors, but that's normal. You know, everything changes. Uh, I truly I'm a firm believer that change is good. Uh the hard part for most people is that. Um, they want to stick to what they know. Uh, but you know, and I know that you get left behind that way. You got to see the fields for what it is. You got to kind of be ahead of the curve. You have to do your homework and you got to adapt. and You got to adapt quickly. Um, and if you do that, I promise you, you'll have success. This market, this market is a lot of value out there. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity. I'm in the same boat. Um, we just purchased a, a property. We got a great deal on about to do the same on a few others. Uh, I plan on coming out of this within 24 months with a certain amount of properties under my name. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a great opportunity.
1: I love it, man. I think you just summed up uh, everything you said in the beginning of the podcast about how with markets, there's always one side's good, one side's bad, one side's up, one side's down. And I think it all comes down to what you said when we talked about studying your, your field and knowing those KPIs and, Anybody who's read the book, Traction? all about Those KPIs are are huge. And when you're studying them, you'll know that things are changing and it's okay if they're changing. If you're studying where they're changing, you know how to pivot. So somebody looks at it and they go, oh man, all these people are leaving New York City. It's terrible. It's like, all right, well they have to sell their places now. So I'm gonna sell their places and make money doing that. And then somebody else is gonna come back in. So there's always that yin and yang. And that's what I've always loved about real estate is no matter what happens, no matter where it happens, no matter how it happens, if you're aware of the change and do exactly like you said, and you pivot to it, there's always a way to make money, which I think is freaking awesome, man. So, uh, you know, speaking of making money, doing jujitsu, how do, how do people find you? How do people work with you? Um, talk to people about how they can touch base with Marlon.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. I work with, uh, as a broker, I work with bold New York. Um, feel free to, you have any questions at all, I, I believe in, I believe in building relationships. So feel free to, To look me up, Bold New York, Um, my email is msuarez at livebold.com. If you have any questions at all, real estate related, I'd be happy to take the time and assist you. Uh, I believe in giving value. Uh, One of the things that that I take a lot of pride in is uh, I uh, I don't assume anything with my relationships. I really want to grind them out. I want to develop them. And it means I have to give you free advice for a little bit until we can really make a solid connection. I'm always happy to do that love talking to real estate, love talking to Jitsu. So absolutely give me a shout out and take it from there.
1: I love it, man. And uh, are you doing any, any uh, teaching or anything like that over at Henslow's or you're just doing the training with those guys?
0: You know, that's, that's one of my next steps. Um, I still have, I was actually, before the pandemic, I think I've done, uh, I did about four tournaments. I did a super fight. Um, I still have aspirations of competing, which I have a few things lined up, which I will do. My next step, I have to say that I'm a little embarrassed about this because John, John's students are, are amazing teachers. I'll tell you, one of the things he does extremely well, he's an amazing mentor and instructor. I mean, in my book, The Best, I know that—I I know people can argue, but for me, he's the best. Uh, uh, but the one thing that he does, above all else, is he really gets his guys to understand it and, and, and to teach it. I mean, you listen, you go, to, you go to a seminar, you have Gary or Gordon or even Nikki Ryan, who's like 17 right now, um, all their guys, all their guys have really just understand it, really are crystal clear and convey it. Uh, embarrassingly so, I'm not there yet. <laughs> you too. I'm still trying to survive. <laughs> I'm still in the phase of trying to survive, not getting killed on those mats. But that's one thing I definitely want to do. Um, I, I could definitely see myself uh, teaching jujitsu. I love I love everything about it. I think it's a great lesson for life. You know, jujitsu and martial arts is. A, I think it's one of the, I think it's one of those platforms that truly allows you to unleash the human potential because it's such a grind. I've never walked on a mat and thought I was the best. Every day I walked on the mat, I thought, man, I got to learn. I got to get better. I got to get better. And no matter what it is, it's so humbling. And before you know it, you have this wealth of knowledge when it comes to it. And you just have this, all these vast experiences. And and it's just because you're always learning. It's always just just trying to get better and on those mats you you know henzo's right i mean and and you referred to this earlier on those mats it is truly an exchange of information i've made so many great relationships one of the best decisions i've ever made in my life was taking up jujitsu um i got to meet some amazing people uh people that i call my dear friends i mean um to be honest i think i spoke to most most of the people that I talked to regularly on, on uh, during the pandemic and while we were on lockdown were people I was training with, people who I consider dear friends all the time. So, uh, yeah, if anyone if anyone's looking to to get better and grow, trust me, jujitsu is one of those things you should definitely take up. And you can make it whatever you want. You can be a crazy madman like me and try to compete <laughs> every day with. 20 something year olds or you could just do it casually and enjoy you'll you'll get into great shape you'll make some great connections uh it is yeah it is awesome I will tell you one thing before we go Matt Sarah is one of the coolest cats I know I don't see Matt for like five years the minute he sees me he lights up hugs me, oh my God, he's one of the best dudes ever. I mean, him, Henzo, those guys, they just make you feel feel special every day. And I know Matt sees everyone, like a ton of people on a daily basis, flying everywhere. And I tell you, every time I see him, he just makes me feel awesome. I love that guy. Tell him I say hello.
1: I 100% will, man. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh... Anytime you're anywhere within striking distance of Matt, Sarah, Henzo Gracie,
0: oh, awesome. the energy
1: is just, I don't know anybody else like that, that they just literally light up a whole room. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's infected it Everybody it around it you, is. it just, it brings everybody up immediately with just a laugh or a joke or something like that. And, you know, they are guys that I think, like you said, from the beginning, like I've, I've heard Matt since the day I met him, you know, 13, 14 years ago, always just speak highly of Henzo and be nothing but an loyal dog. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's instilled that in all his guys too. You know, we'll, we'll take bullets for Matt the same way he would yeah. for Enzo and I'm sure you would, man. So uh, I've always had a, a lot of respect for you, man. You've always been really good to me. Uh, we we got to touch base more and talk more real estate. Uh, you know, I, Definitely good luck to all your guys that are competing. I have a ton of respect, obviously, Enzo Gracie lineage, anybody under Matt's era as well. So good luck to Gordon and Gary and all those guys too, man. And uh, I'll post all your social media links and everything and the show notes too, and uh, let's touch base let's over the next week or so and uh, debrief. And we should probably do a part two of this because there was like thirty things I didn't get to that I wanted to talk to you about too, man. But I, I appreciate you doing it, man.
0: Marlon Torres, ladies and gentlemen. Have uh, a great day, thanks. Man. thanks for having me, man. Take care. And, uh, take it easy, uh,